0: Welcome to the second episode of the Inspiratio podcast, a podcast that dives deep into the realms of spirituality, rationality, and art. I am your host, Navid Divana. I'm an eclectic DJ. Uh, I'm trained as a neuroscientist, and I explore the realms of meditation and philosophy here in the beautiful city of Amsterdam. Uh, The following is a conversation with my friend Thomas Mayer, also known as DJ Infinite. He's a colleague of mine, and he is also a philosopher and a poet. So in this conversation, we'll be diving deep into many philosophical topics. Um, I will name some of them. We will dive into the definition and function of philosophy, the relationship between philosophy and science, forms and functions of language, notions of free will, notions of good and bad, concepts of God, untangling consciousness and self-awareness, religion and ethics, social structures, and political history. Yes, that's a lot of things. The previous episode was what my friend Dr. Ruben Laukunen who is a neuroscientist and meditation expert? Uh, so, you can go check that out. Also, we have an introduction episode to the Inspirational Podcast. You can also go and check that out. I will release a new episode every four to six weeks. And I'm saying this early 2022 uh, because this probably will increase in the future. And if you enjoy this show, you can contribute to its future growth and new episodes through a monthly subscription or one-time donation. And you decide what you want to pay. Every amount is highly appreciated. Check out Inspiratiopodcast.com or the episode description in your podcast player for more info. And I'm very grateful for your support. Also, when you want to be updated, when there's a new episode released, you can sign up for our newsletter. Also, check out our website or the episode description to find out how. And I will only send an email when there's a new episode and no other spam. Promised. I now present you Thomas. Thomas, how are you doing today, man? Good. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Fine. Okay. Awesome. I wanted to say I'm always so impressed by many things about like your character and the things you do and the common interests we have and your, your abnormal processing power up there. <laughs> I have the feeling you're, I mean, it's just my judgment, but I have the feeling that you have a lot of... Um, analytical processing power i don't know that many people which i would think at any moment can give like a reasoning like bam about any subject you can i think you can just wake you up and ask you something yeah yeah you can nice nice i don't know okay i was born that way yeah all right so um in this episode, I kind of chose for a format to um, have, uh, yeah, just a bunch of questions and then we will just shoot them away and see what comes up. Uh, mm-hmm. Last podcast, I did more like just going in-depth into the different topics. Uh, oh, we can use a question as a starting point exactly. to get the conversation going so, you have a background in philosophy, you've also been teaching philosophy, uh, you still are very much engaged with it on a daily basis as far as I mm-hmm. know, and you like to go deep into analyzing all sorts of philosophical material. So I really think you're the right person to ask this question, something that I miss in many uh, other conversations and podcasts that people just immediately go into philosophical topics or scientific topics but sometimes i miss like the framework uh what is the modern definition of philosophy and maybe in relationship to other disciplines and how do you Hmm.
1: well there's not a straight answer you can give this and this is already i think an example of what philosophy is is that There's like, you cannot find any philosopher who has the same definition of philosophy. So there's different styles of philosophy and you have like, right now, for instance, you have analytical philosophy and you have continental theory and you have critical theory and you have like all these ways of philosophizing which take different fundamentals as their building block, as their foundation. And then you have like the historical movement of philosophy as a discipline of those people who think a bit more thoroughly about something. So in that sense, you could say, like, there's not one definition. You could say that there's, like, a tradition that is rooted in, like, this guy called Socrates, whose student Plato wrote all these books about the first self-conscious philosopher, who he was the first philosopher to call himself a philosopher instead of a sophist. And I think this is a good way to... Guy, generalize like all these different styles of philosophy into one thing is that like so in ancient athens you had these people called sophists and they were teachers so an important thing to understand ancient greek democracy was the first democracy in the world and or maybe some village, but like it's the first that we know from historical so evidence
0: soph- sophist means thinker right? no
1: teacher Ah, So the sophists, they were like... So you need political context to understand what they did. So you had a democracy. And in a democracy, you gain power by persuading people. It wasn't just about who was the most mighty. It was about who was the smartest. So political power in a democracy is based on the power of persuasion so what sophists did is that they taught rich kids from powerful families how to be persuasive okay and they had this idea that um, man is the measure of all things that they didn't matter what really true was what mattered if you could convince people that something was true Because that was the basis of action for that democracy. So then you had this whole movement of sophistry, which now has become something else because of, like, the history of philosophy that showed that um, we cannot just think that truth is something that you're persuaded to
0: believe into. So. So um, So it was a counter movement to persuasion. Because uh, the moment you started about persuasion, I was also thinking, like, that shouldn't be the goal of philosophy. No,
1: it's not the goal of philosophy. It's the the goal of sophistry. And, like, Socrates Ah, was critiquing them. So he said, oh, you argue that you think this and this is the case. And then he would challenge them and blast those arguments to pieces until they realized that they didn't know shit.
0: Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's actually exactly. the point. And that's like, like. Until they convinced him to yeah. die. <laughs>
1: and that's also, I think, why philosophy is no, so difficult. No, him. Like, um, there's like what is called the aporia in ancient Greek philosophy is that like the Platonic texts often do not really conclude anything. They end in a conundrum, they end in a question that should be thought about more thoroughly. So, in a sense, it's like. Ending at some conclusion you can just put in your pocket, yeah. as now I know a truth. That is something that philosophers have difficulty with because there's always something that is wrong with your perception. Right. There's always something limited, always something skewed yeah. about how you perceive something to be.
0: Exactly. And um, then from there on, it was, so basically it was kind of like a a tradition where people were like learning to think and and reason, right? And from that, out of that uh, disciplines, like natural philosophy, which is modern science, or even mathematics, were kind of born out of that, right? Am I correct? Well, you know,
1: before I think the 17th century all of them were called philosophy. There was yeah, no, exactly. yeah. there was no science. There was no anthropology or sociology or uh, physics or chemistry. It was all like philosophy. It was just, and because like the the, the techniques of logic and reasoning and analy- an analysis, they were all born in the attempt to critique like perceptions that were maybe a bit uh, backward or lot and they yeah. used reasoning and logic in order to uh, uh, uh,
0: gain a better understanding yeah. of the concepts they use of the oh, ideas yeah. that they have exactly had. and so nowadays we have the scientific method which is born out of certain philosophical um, ideas and 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 communities so to say and like the the wiener kreis and mm-hmm. the if i'm correct like the these groups uh, who were discussing how to like make correct measurements in this reality that we have and stuff and then so out of that like the scientific method was born but now we have like a discipline called science and a discipline called philosophy does that make sense
1: well you not have just one science i think uh uh science is not one whole like science is uh Generalized term to encompass a whole set of disciplines which sometimes not even rhyme with each other. So, for instance, like to take an example of the most sciency of subjects, you know, uh, the whole dichotomy between quantum mechanics and Newtonian physics. Like one works on the smallest scales, the other ones work on the big scale, but they don't jive together. There, you see that, like, even in one science, like physics, there is like two ways of looking which don't exactly agree with each other and so what i'm using this to say is that like similar to how science is a a grouping of disparate practices in a similar way philosophy is the same and you have like many types of philosophy which are very much inscribed by science but at the same time you also have philosophy that is going way beyond just the question what is real and how do things work but ask more subtle questions about the nature of our minds etc
0: yeah so just for a couple of examples maybe can we say that that the 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 thing you just said about quantum physics measuring things on the smallest scale and 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 newtonian physics measuring things on a Bigger scale, I mean, Newtonian physics have been updated with yeah. Einsteinian principles, but let's not yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. Well, is that like this statement of describing these fields of physics? Is that a, a domain of philosophy or is it a domain of science?
1: <laughs> well, you know, you have the philosophy of science and exactly I think as to, to like, it's takes a more meta perspective on wondering, like, why. Do these epistemological frameworks do not work together exactly? Uh, in what measure are they limited? I think these are always philosophical
0: questions. Yeah, because like epistemology is the uh, art of describing rea- reality. No, right?
1: epistemology is the is the the, the process of defining knowledge. Ah, yeah. So and ontology, because... Ontology things- is, is the question about what things are. Exactly. And that's also different than physics, because, yeah. like, ontology is more like a practice of, like, in the words we use, like, how are they related to yeah. reality? And that's a totally different question, because, like, in ontology, classically, you wonder about, like, what is quanta, what is a whole, yeah. what is one, what is many. Exactly. These are like all these concepts we use to describe on a very fundamental basis anything in reality. Yeah. Like ontology is the process of really coming to terms with these concepts and try to make them more rigorous than we yes. use them in a more colloquial sense in exactly. everyday language.
0: Because like uh one of the first what i find very interesting about philosophy is that you can always ask what is philosophy and that on itself is a never really dying question either it kind of gives you new answers it's just this field which keeps updating itself and redefining itself depending on the thinker or the yeah Mm -hmm. conversation that you have but um so what you were saying uh what I find interesting, what comes up for me often is philosophy is, for example, also um, is very handy because of the, these these uh, things like ontology, epistemology, etc. These, these frameworks that it provides to come up with the hypotheses that a scientific method can test or mm-hmm. even find out like, okay, let's measure um sadness in people like if i look at my own psychological background and then some people would say but you always need a subjective measurement is that valid and then the other person says yeah but we only have in principle our subjective measurements even when we read a scale or a number or on a dial or (laughs) so 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 in in these fields like the what is And like, what is this thing anyway that you want to measure? There are always a bit of philosophy kicks. Yeah, and also
1: I think that's where lots of scientists are terribly naive. Yeah, they often are not (laughs) reflexive about what they're actually measuring. Same with like the whole the classical debate between scientists versus philosophers. Like, is there a free will? And (laughs) like, but like in this discussion, there's just so many ill-defined questions. Like the famous experiment, the Libet experiment, where they say that like the freedom doesn't exist because where he would put someone in an MRI scanner and a little bit before their voluntary movement, we see a little jiggly on the uh, graph. But if you look at the experiment, the question they put to people was like, by yourself, when you feel the need to press the button, press the button. So they already skewed the thing to ask for, like, a random signal in your brain almost, you know? So that, like, the question is, is that really freedom? Like, I think you could say that, like, for instance, to just take an example, like... They, they take freedom as like the possibility of a physical system to outside of any causal relationship be able to move itself. That's like one definition. But if you take freedom to the experience of being autonomous as the fact that you can have a grip on your life and are able to live your life in accordance with a project you set for yourself, this doesn't include at all this Causality. possibility to be outside of the causal chain—it yeah. just means oh, that you like, yeah. are non-alienated between what you mentally project your life to be and how you can actually live it. So, in that sense, yeah. you by by like asking like, "What are we actually talking about?" You determine the entire result of this research, and this is often what goes terribly wrong, where when scientists are philosophically illiterate. Because they're often testing things that they're not actually um. testing. It's the same with psychology that mm-hmm. that uh, pretends to be empirical when they use like questionnaires which they can measure in numbers but then are very vague in the questions they're actually asking. And you really wonder, like, are you actually testing what you're testing? And this is all reproduction crisis in psychology. There's like many issues like that. It's not what you're actually asking. So the
0: reproduction crisis is the the fact that uh, many uh, research that has been done in psychology has not been able to be reproduced, even though they were super happy about the results and were publishing them as if it's like super hard facts about the human mind. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, Free will, interesting subject, because I absolutely agree with you need to have a definition of freedom first before you even can... uh, can can be able to uh, measure it. And I, I think
1: um, to to I think what thing that can ev- help anybody when discussing this section is many people think that there is a the definition of something, but in philosophy you more often tend to talk about notions. Yeah. So you have this word, which generalize that like generally refers to a set phenomenon which is often a little bit confused. And then you look at like, instead of assuming that everyone means the same thing by it, by philosophical analysis, you really try to delve into, yeah, but where does it differ? Like, yeah. what, in what way are we not talking about the same thing when we use this word? A great example, one of my favorite uh, courses during my uh, track at university was uh, a, 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 a course called A History of the Idea of the Good. So it had like 12 texts from different eras and different cultures where there was a different idea of what is good. Ah, yeah. And it's such a central concept. People use it every day for so many things. But it's not one concept it's yeah. it's like radically different if if a greek philosopher is talking about good it's something different than a christian theologian in the medieval times and it's something again different when you ask mark Rutte or, or some some uh, politician who has a very specific set of what he perceives as to be a good yeah. for society like for instance now i think the good is thought in very economical terms instead of moral terms or in terms of virtuous uh, terms and in it we use the same word but it doesn't mean the same thing across across all these different times and ages
0: yeah i think because i kind of consider myself as a student uh, a fan practitioner of rational buddhism in a mm-hmm. way, that for me, it's already like whenever you say good, I'm like, but but I know what good is, but but I know because I'm like kind of... Um, what is your notion of well, good? Well, my notion of good is um, when uh, if you ask a... Okay, let's start with human beings. If you ask a human being like um, uh, are you suffering? Are you happy? And then Again, terms which are you know how do you define it and stuff, but this inner feeling Before of a Buddhist they would always say that they're suffering right yeah like, well but central. we yeah, but there is this mission to and reduce yeah. it or i don't know if you like uh, maybe we have now buddhism version 8.6 saying that, well, uh, that okay we're not gonna end it but we're gonna uh reduce it or something and mm-hmm. uh we're gonna accept that it exists and then therefore um also by looking at it it lose, instead of living it out, it loses its strength. This is not 8.6, by the way. This was already very well described in ancient Buddhist texts. Well, I think we,
1: we might generalize a little bit about the good as a concept. You could see that it um, is almost always paired with its negative. Yeah. So in the sense that um, the ancient Greeks had a, a good notion that is similar to what is powerful, so a good tree is like a tree that's fully grown <laughs> and like flourishing. But at the same time, a good person isn't necessarily who doesn't do nasty things, but it's a powerful person who has the ability to do whatever he wants. It's like the power to self-actualize is actually like a notion of the good. And the bad is something that is not powerful, that is unable to fulfill or uh, actualize its potential that's really like how a greek notion of the good is which is radically different than how <laughs> the christian world perceives i would it.
0: say that's quite a dangerous and but uh, like for the buddhism <laughs> where you were
1: talking about there it's really related to the concept of suffering yeah. and happiness yeah. is there like the the basic
0: dichotomy between which these notions kind of we understand them. Yeah. what our answer to them yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and there are, there are multiple forms of happiness, and the the happiness, the true, maybe the true idea of Buddhist happiness is uh, being able to f- be happy in every moment instead of working towards happiness mm-hmm. uh, moments, and that is by even when you are suffering, the moment you view the suffering and you kind of the you steps out of the picture and then there is only that thing that causes the pain mm-hmm. then you can be then there is this unconditionalness of observation without engagement yeah uh, well I think also <laughs> it might,
1: might be interesting to like and That is happiness. Like, I don't like. consider myself a Buddhist I do meditate uh, but at the same time I think it's very interesting to see that any notion of the good in whatever time or whatever culture, is related to some kind of self-discipline wherein you implement a certain idea about what it is to lead lead a good life, to use like an ideal as something to strive forwards, to give shape to this unformed thing that is yourself and to adapt it into something that is... uh, Accepted by your surrounding culture as being good okay. because, like, it can be strange if you have a radically different idea of what is good, yeah. It's often doesn't end well for people, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, there, I think you could say that, like, these kinds of concepts, like the good and the bad, they are like um, uh, a point, an I- ideal point that. For, gives form to what people can strive towards or how they should yeah. be so in that sense they're very moral regulative yeah.
0: moral yeah. yeah but then the end goal seems to be to live a happy life like all of these like the mo- morality uh will provide a space yeah which is yeah leading. but what is happy well mm, you know what is it is it experience
1: <laughs> is it the same as joy
0: Mm-hmm. Cause i always found this like this is beautiful thing and um i experience them differently but when i'm joy when i'm joyous i'm happy like you know <laughs> but like you know, not, the, yeah.
1: in many of the terms we use they have been heavily influenced or poisoned by yeah. the ancient Greeks because they just have been shaping the minds of the entire Western intelligentsia for like millennia, literally, like two and a half thousand years almost. So the Greek philosophers, their concept for happiness is eudaimonia. And it actually literally translates a little bit. Demon. Saying, yeah, it's demon, <laughs> yeah. But it, like, it actually means something like colloquially translated. It could mean something like being in good spirits. And... This is like and they see it as this so Aristotelian metaphysics sees like the movement of being and how things grow and evolve. It's really this actualization of potentials, really their core idea of like a seed growing into an oak, uh those kind of images, so the idea of a uh, being in good spirits is for you as a human being to fully flourish in all your capacities to be so, able
0: to self actualize and become a whole human being. That that word self actualizing is what all the modern yes. guru koshas, spiritual coaches yeah. are are advertising. And I know. know,
1: but like like Maybe many of, many you know. new age is like terribly old. It's like just uh, yeah, of course, but eternal repetition of the same thing, <laughs> and then they think they're highly original and it's all rooted in <laughs> intuition, but they just don't know their classics, or they do know them because they've like the Detrius has been. Uh, collecting throughout times and it's in baked in our language many yeah. of these things that we take accustomed to like they were given shape by the active mental process of thousands year history of intellectual activity and many of this got stuck in our language yeah. and people don't even realize like where it comes from so this is like Part of also what philosophy is doing the archaeology of the mind to see where and Uh, how and why we
0: started using certain words. Yeah, 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 yeah. Archaeology of the mind um okay from yeah, this could i go into g- the dusty dungeons of the mind yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that's a <The interesting>. Cobwebbed, <laughs> dangerous era with like this
1: like but it's like really the image of the, the horror movie like when you open the basement door and they're like afraid to because it's dark and there's this rumbling boiler somewhere there it's similar to our mind like there's this whole beneath the ground layer of our mind which we are not really accustomed to
0: oh there is so much there and we don't even know if it's like a projection or is, did we pick up this idea from someone else or is it an older idea or it's a what? haunted house yeah yeah, yeah the yeah. house of the mind <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah um but i wanted to build a bridge to the next question which is um um language has many, because we were talking about language and the power of it and, and the descriptions, etc. But language has many applications like poetry or prose, just normal fiction books or mm-hmm. something. Um, zen koans, which I like from the Buddhist traditions to feel that power of. Well, yeah, a, a, yeah, and enlightenment in the moment, like by reading it, like boom, you can, yeah, and and and, uh, or by repeating it in your mind. You have haikus, which are actually also kind of like you know these short poems that give a very yeah. snapping experience of reality. But besides that, there's all these different forms, and then there is the language that is used to, which is not. Uh, poetic or symbolic or something or synonymous well
1: you mean everyday language no,
0: oh yeah language to say hey uh, this is a uh, piece of paper <laughs> yeah descriptive language or you are hot because you are you, because you have a lot of dreads on your head i mean like warm you're also hot because of <laughs> 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 you know like stuff like that causal. so is there um because what yeah should these forms be different like or can we use poetic language when we're um, in a, a scientific field or something because well i well, don't want to answer it let me mm. see what <laughs>
1: i think Like for me, I'm next to being a a philosopher. I'm also a poet, so I'm a a big proponent of freedom of thought and of speaking. And I think it's very important to be cognizant of the different modes of language. Like, for instance, a joke. Like you don't take it at face value. There's a a, um, a clue to the joke, which means that it's ironic or cynical or that like. There's this whole complex game in language and I think there is no language that is not a game like sometimes in science they try to be all particular but still like like I said that the the mind is like a haunted house our language is too like many words where we think they have a very specific meaning actually started like a metaphor yeah. you know like there's many it's like hard to always to think of an example but the language is full of words which, when you wonder, like, why is there this word and where did it came from, it often has such a surprising uh, uh, w- history how it got there. And I think one example I think is very interesting to look at the difference between Flemish and Dutch, okay? Because there, it's like kind of the same language, yeah, but it has subtle differences which are a clue to the evolution so maybe of
0: language. Nice to mention for people who are not from this area of the world. We are Flemish is the. The Dutch spoken in Belgium and Dutch we now refer to as the Dutch spoken in the Netherlands. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and also maybe more particular in Holland because that's like the... The, from if the netherlands is an imperial power like in the 12 provinces combining yeah. them together you have of course many different dialects and sub-languages that now uh, D- dutch is in the general sense is like from the area we're in in amsterdam that's like yeah. the the basics but For like many I think,
0: people amsterdam is the netherlands yeah. like
1: whoa there's more in the no, but <laughs> one example i like to give is about um poepen. It's very no, but it's it's like it's very interesting, a very interesting point about how language emerged. Because now, for a Dutch person, "poepen" means taking a shit, but for a Flemish person, it means fucking. Yes, and this is like like why why is this? But then you have like this cycle in language, which is called like the 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 cycle of uh, euphemism. Yeah. So many taboo words like shitting and fucking, they are naughty words. Yeah. So you don't use them directly. But the fun fact is that uh, pooper has been, like it used to be just like pressing something through through it. Ah. But, so well, the act of notice. fucking and shitting is like a similar kind of pressure of this cylindrical thing moving through a tight hole. That is actually like the activity in which it's the same, but both choose a different metaphor to describe the activity. And at one point, people forget that it's a metaphor. So the thing replaces the thing what it is describing. Ah, yeah. So, and then that becomes a dirty word in itself. So then it needs a new metaphor in order to like circumvent the, the unwritten rules about taboo. Oh, yeah. So. Um, you have many examples in this. In every language, they use words that used to mean something else that suddenly get replaced for the thing itself.
0: Right. Okay. Um, so now we're talking about uh, words that have evolved sort yeah. of in so time.
1: What, what I mean to say is I think that um, the subtlety of language and the... Uh, duplicitousness of language is something we cannot escape. I you
0: mean with duplicitousness, ambiguity? Like Both, is, yeah, yeah. It's like
1: almost an insidious uh, 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 ambiguity. Like in the sense that you can abuse this as well. Like yeah, yeah, in politics it, and in propaganda, yeah. they often use it as a game to get people to think something of it in a certain way. And this is also like one of the triggers for me when you read something to see how to judge like who is writing it and with what intention If they use a lot of uh, coloring words to describe like things in a specific way. It's often a uh, reason to distrust. Like many conspiracy theorists, their writing is from the onset focused to garner a certain measure of disgust, fear, Repulsion. So they use many very negative words. So they will never describe something in a very neutral, objective way. They will like power through it with like all these concepts that will color what they're describing in a way like. Uh, the ridiculous remark or the, like, there's never something yeah, yeah. that is just very sex, very uh, cold or very neutral in its description. Yeah. And even though I'm a big proponent of using colorful language also yeah. to subvert expectations sometimes, but, you know, you can see there that, like, language is seldomly uh, neutral in that sense. Oh, and yeah. I think it's, even when you try to be, it's never really. And that's also why I think for philosophers, like they often, I will get like, if you're doing a discussion with someone and they will say, oh, well, that's just semantics. And I think, yeah, well, but semantics is not just semantics. Yeah. It's like, are we actually talking about the same thing? Exactly. And that's often like, you notice that many people have a very unique notion of something yeah. or something that has been highly infected by some kind of ideological idea. Like, look at the Americans talking about socialism. That's like, it's like a naughty word. It's like a taboo concept to stop any discussion. They don't have a thorough understanding of Marxian economics. No no one really does. No.
0: Unless you start really like studying Marx, and then you will realize that he would probably turn in his grave to see yeah. what has happened with yeah. You could make a. It was really a, a pr- really nice philosophy of society and really idealistic, really yeah. beautiful. Really, and like, he also was
1: the first, almost the first scientific economist that actually I, used numbers and yeah. like uh, like okay. in yeah. it. He was like the father of economics and sociology, yeah. and many people also forget that he was the first to bring some rigor to moral philosophy and yeah. stuff. But that's something you know. Yeah, it's it's also problematic in many ways, but he was also brilliant, and I think. Uh, yeah like it's it's an it's just an example now in this case to just use it yeah. like for a european growing up in social democracy the word socialism has a different taste yeah. than an american who's been brought up on incessant mccarthyian kind of like propaganda machine where it's just a word without meaning but it's people agree it's a bad word and you shouldn't even discuss like something like that and of course it's not true for everybody there's some highly educated Americans who are more sophisticated than that and also know not to use it as a because they knew it like as a red flag for certain people who get angry if you discuss about it and if you like don't talk about socialism but use separate tenets most people will agree with it
0: yeah yeah so coming back to the question, so is descriptive language, so basically what we're saying, descript, even even when we try to use language in a very descriptive way, we will fail, is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> more or less.
1: But like, it's also not a total failure, but it's more like, I think, and I, this is, I think, what, what is, if you study philosophy seriously, what it helps you to do is like loosen up, your rigorous way of thinking about ideas and language, and by like by seeing this ambiguity of it, get a more firm grip on what mentality hides behind specific ways of speaking. Yeah, and this is like I think because like philosophy is a study of thought, and also study. It's like on one hand, it's like also like like how you should thought or think or how you shouldn't think. But at the same time, it's also describing how people historically have thought yeah. and why and how this is all like changing and everything. So this is like um, makes you more susceptible to very sp- subtle things that are yeah. hiding in language. For instance, like like it's like almost obvious, but the Libet experience about free will for many yeah. people, that's, like, the reason that they say, well, freedom, free will is an illusion. And it's like, yeah, but when you make a straw man and put it on fire, like, no wonder, you know? It's like, it's like what do you
0: expect? Well, uh, I, I think with free will, that's a very interesting example. Like, because um, the, you can... Let me give two examples. One is uh, someone uh, commits a crime, and after that... Uh, the punishment system of the country that is in... For example, some a person commits murder, mm-hmm. right? For whatever reason. And then the punishment system says, well, uh, not only are we going to protect society by locking you up, we will also uh, impose some uh, torture on you and we will uh, take revenge for the family, etc. And, and because... Now comes the sentence you should have done differently, and this is a in my opinion, a syntax error, so to say mm-hmm. so the, senten- the sentence doesn 't make sense because it goes against the laws of nature that we have vi- I don't know. I- it's
1: not, not 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 a answered question whether or not uh physical systems have the power to do differently yeah i think it's not i think you know the thing is that. Metaphor again here is very important. So when Newton wrote his Principia Mathematica, this was like the start of thinking about nature as just this giant complicated clock where everything runs meticulously along the rationale of all these little wires and machines. You know, so often we have a tendency to think about nature in the most complex metaphor we have. So nowadays it's like a computer simulation, but then it was clockwork. And this metaphor of like imagining the world and physical systems as just so many pieces of a clock ticking together, like this got the image, yeah, but how can you be free if it's all just a clock running down? Like, but the question is whether nature actually is like that. And now, with modern systems theory and chaos theory, you know that like a infinitesimal difference is a huge difference on the long run. So, the, the the it might be possible that. Uh, for nature, possibility is a real thing.
0: Yeah, it is true, but that's then not the freedom that that person no. had to act differently in that that's, moment.
1: That's, that's, that, that's a different question so, again.
0: Yeah, and But you could also
1: wonder whether being able to do differently is actually necessary for uh, society. We have this idea, okay, because people are free... They are punished because they didn't use their freedom
0: wisely and should be deprived. Yeah, and of that their freedom. I think is a wrong way of approaching a definition of free will. Uh, that yeah you know like I
1: was thinking about uh, the famous uh, philosopher Spinoza. He had this idea. Like he, he, he's like also part of like the. It's he was very, Dutch.
0: Well, no, he fled to this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But he would live for most of his life in in the Netherlands. Yeah, and also similar is uh, is uh, what was his, his
0: origin again? Just uh, he
1: was a. Spanish Jew oh yeah, yeah, but yeah. like at this moment, the Spanish Empire had a big brain drain to the Netherlands, and it was actually one of the tactics of the Netherlands when they were getting rich of the East India Company and these novel financial <laughs> innovations. We also had a free press this yeah, in, yeah. this lured many financiers and intellectuals, and is the thing that made the Netherlands great, I yeah. think in that moment, uh, but he said somewhere in his book that freedom is something like you throw an apple in the in the air. And that the apple thinks like, "Oh, I'm free," and then he said, "The strange thing is that he was actually <laughs> and falls right." Falls down again. <laughs> no, but the 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 point he made was that he's actually right in thinking he's free. But this is again like a subversion of the idea of what we mean by freedom. And now, right now, freedom is like so much tied to the idea of okay, we have a democracy, we're all free individuals who can choose the project of their own life. So in it, freedom is a political category which is very important for the notion of our self-perception and whether we are autonomous or not. So in that sense, we put an over-big attention on the idea of freedom and then it became a philosophical question, whether it's even possible at all. But it's just like a confusion of many different layers in which we use the same word, but where it's like, again, it's very hard to parse out what people are
0: actually meaning with it. Yeah, I think that's the... Well, uh, I think... uh, referring to sam harris which i know you're not a huge fan of but (laughs) i i am in this definitely when he talks about free will is uh this is something maybe i don't agree with him but he says when you ask most people uh, the, the notion most people have of free will is that you should have done shoulda, yeah. woulda, coulda. I and like, uh, that's wrong. Like, yeah, that's yeah, 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 Especially when you meditate and you see how well, a um, choice is made. Can I, can I just give this yeah. example? It's when you see um, something, um, when you look at, okay, I have the, ch- ch- the choice to pick any object in a store that I want or even from many stores, doesn't matter. And then you see the thought process. I need you, The thought comes up. I need new socks. Then the next thought comes up. No, I need a lamp. Next thought comes up. I want to be unpredictable. So I'm going to not choose both of them. Ha-ha, I will choose a toaster. And then comes the thought, but I will apply reverse psychology and choose socks. These string of thoughts happen, then the action happens, whatever you choose. Yeah. But where in, there you have to kind of insert a principle uh, of free will. Where is it? You don't even yeah. observe it. But right? I think
1: it's the wrong question. And I, okay. think, um, I think a little historical excursion brings light to the problem. Like okay. uh, one of the oldest notions of freedom we have is uh, Amerta. And it's from somewhere in the Middle East, like uh, from the yeah. written history that we have. And the the etymologists that research this concept, they think like literally means mean something like return to mother. And sociologically or politically, it has a very, very specific meaning. So in this ancient world, most slavery was debt slavery. So someone was indebted to someone, and then first they lost their daughters, and then they lost their land, and then they lost the freedom of their life and limbs. Yeah. So in these ancient worlds, you still had something what was called the Day of the Reckoning. Every forty-nine years, there was a day where everyone's debts were forgiven, and people had the right to return to their motherland where they were driven off from from some sort of capitalist who they were indebted to, and they received back the gift from their mother, which is their body and the, their lens, And so, in this sense, freedom is a political concept which is the negative of slavery. Yes. And in this sense, you don't need to speak about free will as this metaphysical idea that we could be different. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but this notion of freedom, then became very alluring because like oh man like slave we're not just slaves to our master we're slaves to our body to our appetites to our desires through like so it becomes this whole complex where we apply this idea we have and put it inside many different things and then suddenly wonder like oh why doesn't it work why is this strange here but that's because Uh. we have like reified like this is a concept (laughs) where we use an abstract idea which is from a particular sort and we reify it make into something concrete that is based in some sort of principle namely that we have a soul which makes that we're not bound to the
0: physical limits of the chains of causality yeah which and the soul in itself also lives in a domain so it has to i mean that's also weird but this is like also
1: weird because this is like a almost like a a monster like a monstrous combination of two ideas because at the one hand you have the idea of the soul, which is from a very spiritual religious tradition, and then you have this idea of the, the physical reality being like uh this chains of causality. Yeah. And then there's like this mishmash between two of them. Even though most Christians, for instance, are predeterminists yeah. they believe that god willed everything in essence yeah, so for yeah. especially reformed christians they don't believe in free will they think people are doomed by the onset of their birth that their whole life is set for them so in that sense com- like there's this strange thing going on where we like this is i think that the, the story of our lives in our mind is that we have like all these layers of thoughts that stem from different parts and different ideas and we all mesh them together and think that somehow reflective of a coherent whole even though our mind is a mess yeah you know we try to <laughs> p- pull it over the world and think like oh it doesn't make sense or whatever but it's like it's just that there's many just many how do you say haken uh, ogen in english there's like uh, there's many uh, uh it's
0: details it's, yeah Yeah. but
1: but like thorny details that like thorny details that puncture you there's many ifs
0: and uh, yeah ifs and buts buts and buts and ifs exactly so um we i think we kind of demonstrated that uh this means that um uh language is by by talking about free will is that like you know the, the freedom of having the options of doing different things versus the freedom uh, like just having these options like being able to choose to unlock yourself from your from your chains and become sportsman doctor musician whatever yeah. versus the freedom uh, that is a definition so and yeah. another definition which is a very much more logical definition which is i think many people when you actually talk to them they actually pretty quickly yeah. drop that weird metaphysical idea of yeah. should have would have could have but on the other hand it's also interesting if you tell people like revenge is nonsense because if you were in gandhi's shoes you probably would have done the same because you were raised that way but if you were in Stalin's shoes I will not use Hitler as like you know we all <laughs> the standard gods win Hitler did this like Stalin's shoes you would have also been a oh, I can, can
1: I say something echt that's like if it's taken out of context it would be horrible but like for a Greek <laughs> metaphysician thinking about the good human life they would say Hitler was good not yeah. in a moral sense but because he had power to change the entire fucking world yeah. like being able to swing your dick and puncture it into the ground like in whatever way you do that's like for a greek <laughs> it's good it's like but like their
0: yeah, gods were
1: immoral as fuck they they weren't about like oh you shouldn't do that they were just like if you can you should it was like it wasn't about oh that is wrong like maybe there's some differences in it but like in general greeks
0: uh, worship power used to but I think the, the philosophers kind of started make bringing a change into that yeah up. they were yeah. like it wasn't
1: they were outliers in their culture but yeah. I think uh, yes and no because like the biggest dick in Greek history like Alexander the Great was actually taught and raised by Aristotle
0: <laughs> well I mean <laughs> it maybe wasn't necessary I don't know if Aristotle may- meant to make him into a dictator that I don't know but
1: no but the, the dictators he wasn't like it, it sets like he didn't come to the dictation part he was mainly a conqueror and he died okay. before he could like really rule over his empire yeah okay. like I'm already older than the, the day when uh, Alexander the Great died yeah 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 exactly okay also about by preventable disease <laughs> they don't know or poison they don't exactly know what some theories is that he was sick might have been saved by a vaccine yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it might have been saved by a vaccine yeah but sure. who knows he might have conquered the whole world <laughs> oh shit. Well, happily maybe he should have died <laughs> <laughs> earlier already no i don't know yeah okay so i kind of uh, wanted to move into a couple of statements or philosophical ideas that i had in the last year when i was also listening a lot to the philosophize this podcast which i can really recommend to people if they either want to refresh their knowledge of philosophy or just get into it for the first time and i think it's really awesome Um, and i was listening to it and some old things got refreshed from when i had philosophy even in high school and on university a little bit and um some really new things came up too, But like, for example, after listening to a lot of episodes, uh, I kind of let go of my um, more, uh, I, I thought, wait, wait. There was a time I would say I'm an atheist. There was a time that I would say uh, I'm agnostic. And uh, now actually I would say, no, I'm a philosophical theist like the theist, even yeah. oh, yeah. well, or deist, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a di- yeah, yeah, exactly, there's a difference, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. So, the god uh, of the
1: philosophers, as they say,
0: yeah, well, oh, yeah, yeah. like that. Well, I, w- I would say so. Now we get back into language and defining things, but by studying, for example, what you said, by studying Marx, you find out that socialism there was a, is not that evil. And by studying, uh,
1: there was a trope at um, because at the faculty, I studied at at the free university here in Amsterdam. Um, the theology department and the philosophy department shared the same floor in the building. Oh, yeah. So we had the same social area, and there was this joke that um, people studying thelos- theology would lose their faith, and people who studied philosophy would regain it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And this is ironic because, like, of course, philosophy is like based on skepticism and critical thinking. Yeah. But the thing is that when you really study thinking, there's more space open for the mystery, yeah. then when you study theology, you have to face: based on, no, this is just the truth. And you suddenly you get like a serious biblical history yeah. course about how the Bible changed and all these random stuff that makes it not so godly. Yeah. Suddenly people then like have no reason to have faith anymore. But when you start about learning about the philosophers, you have like this whole idea about the principle first mover in existence yes. or like scientific... Uh, dogma has an idea of a creator they just don't call him god but there's like an original mover yeah. and however you want to frame it or think it was actually a catholic priest who was also an astronomer who thought about the big bang as a theory but i don't oh, know oh
0: wow interesting yeah 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 when was this when was the idea about the big bang somewhere
1: from... in the in the 20th century when ah, they started yeah, to okay. see the red blue shift in stars and they thought like oh it's all coming from one point ah, so it wasn't yeah. like all spinning in eternity there was an original point from which everything moved yeah 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 But Diego, I think I'm interrupting your question (laughs) because you were going somewhere. Well,
0: yeah, I was going somewhere. Um, I was gonna give like the reasons why I think God exists, and for me, like that—that's what you're saying, the prime mover argument and the creator argument. That's not even what I would say uh, matches my definition of God, because actually, I think uh, I forgot exactly which philosophers and which ideas. But like, as you go through the history of defining God, you see that uh, um, it has been a much, 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 much broader thing than uh, how uh, Abrahamic religions try to, like, kind of give their definition of it. And that's, like, the ruling definition these days, or even, like, a more pluralistic uh, God, more than one God's religions like Hinduism. I mean, it's always a certain... Uh, because hinduism
1: isn't actually a religion it's yeah. like an imperial concept of british people coming to india and think <laughs> like oh what's all these different cults? oh they must believe in many gods even though there were just like specifically many cults of yeah, many different yeah. gods yeah and they just made them all into yeah. one thing which is hinduism which is again as a category different from muslims because you had muslims which were kind of like stray abrahamists yeah <laughs> like four christians of course and then you had all those other people who believed in all these yeah. heathenish thing and that they called hinduism so it's actually not a very unified Thing. Yeah, yeah 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 not like christianity is even yeah. though christianity has a million also, denominations it's also
0: but. not too i mean not many christians would call themselves the same christian <laughs> as a westboro baptist have you seen church american with gods? Their hateful things have you no? seen the
1: series american gods so there's this idea that gods are real and every time they're imagined like there's a real version but one episode there at easter's palace like of yeah. uh, estra and uh there's like a thousand jesuses there yeah. and like the main character's like surprised like oh all the jesus is like <laughs> yeah but there's like mexican jesus and you have like they have like all these Jesuses from all those different yeah, denominations yeah. who radically change their perception yeah, of yeah, their yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, savior yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, okay before we go to the let me give the definition. Uh, or let me give the reasoning behind why uh, God exists. Um, for me, uh, if you look at the uh, um, characteristics that are given to God in many different times, er, er, yeah, times and cultures, etc., um, if if it has these characteristics, it's usually something that uh, can. Uh, be defined as gods like if something is fundamentally mysterious like mm. we don't really know what it is or it's very fundamental to reality if something is everywhere always and something in which all existence is manifested if you look for us human beings the fact that we're conscious of experience. Conscious of experience, that's already a weird term. So that we have experience, like the moment you touch your hair, that sensation in your finger, the thoughts that you have. This is kind of like very meditative. But the fact that something is happening, the lights are on, we're not in a coma, we're not... You know, if you're under full anesthesia, then all of a sudden everything disappears and then you wake up again and then there ha- no time has passed. There has not even been a dream. So that's a state of no consciousness, maybe. Uh, but the fact that there is this ever present, ongoing, experiential thing and even neuroscience doesn't have the answer to what it is. It goes like even a level further than anything else. It's so fundamental. Like a color can't be further described than the name for the color. But beyond that, or or like the frequency waves or whatever, but beyond that... the We truth... don't know
1: how we interpret it in yeah. our minds.
0: Yeah, before the whole like a baby, when a yeah. baby's born, things just appear, bum, bum, bum. That whole field continues like all your life maybe uh i don't know what happens beyond death but i mean there the, the conscious experience is for me consciousness is god you know it's mysterious we don't know what is it's everywhere always in your dreams when you're awake and it's um yeah creation like everything we experience like the creation i don't mean like the creation of the universe without human beings i mean the creation within and not only human beings i mean trees have probably some form of consciousness if you see how they communicate under the ground with their roots with their kin and with other trees and the chemical processes and 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 a fly maybe has this, maybe even there is some rudimentary form of it because it cannot be explained as something that comes out of a brain. That is really an old-fashioned way of thinking about it. Like you have 10 neurons and then you add the 11th one and all of a sudden the zombie turns into a living uh, conscious thing. That's strange. So for me, consciousness is God. So therefore, I would say I'm a philosophical theist, deist. I don't know something like that.
1: Well, i think deism might be something different than what you're describing as consciousness is god. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily think what the correct religious term for that is. Um except that it's maybe I don't know. I don't know. Do you know what, what the specific term for that type of 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 god is that it's no. the same as consciousness <laughs> I don't know. Mm. But anyway, I think there are some interesting things to think about this problem of consciousness and the soul and whether it is or is not like a little bit whether it is or is not um part of god like because like um like there's some multiple historical things that i think are relevant here for instance like descartes who was like the 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 the, the OG behind guys like both Spinoza and behind Newton like his analytical geometry made possible the entire scientific revolution but uh, he's also famous for being the OG uh, dualist like carving up the world between mind and matter yeah like this whole problem of that the experiencing is different than the thing itself like many people fault especially in new age circles he's get hated on because like he's the original dualist Yeah, yeah and he carved up the world between mind and matter and but the interesting thing is that many people are not really realizing what the ontology was before him they thought there was like a million things they thought there was like something that's called hoarseness there was like this subtle essence oh, yeah. of the horse or of the tree or of like but he opened the idea that okay like we can doubt about anything and all our conceptions are faulty to some extent but there's one thing I cannot doubt is yeah. the fact that I doubt and therefore that I am a thinking thing that's like like the cogito ergo the famous phrase, which is I obviously think, not I very. Think g- therefore,
0: yeah. I am. Yeah, but I'm not saying I think. Therefore, no, I no, am. I know. I'm but saying like, there is something going on. That's my definition. I know, of, but like I wanted yeah. to go there, like
1: that, like to see that, like what the effect of him carving up the world in two was. Oh, yeah. So then you have like all the science things, like no, we're all trapped in chains of causality, and then it's like, like no, we're free because we have a soul, which is the thing that thinks, that's in between somewhere, like. In, in between all the mechanisms, there is something that makes us free and conscious. So these things gotten associated with each other, I think, in our mind, also partly subconsciously, because many people don't know the particularities about the uh, Cartesian ontology. But many things have been so thoroughly influential in the entire project of science that many of these ideas kind of like slipped in and became part of this whole problem of thinking about god about freedom about being a conscious being so that's like one part of it which got like then the question becomes like where is this freedom seated it's like in the consciousness that's like something that people often do but then there's like this next interesting question that you could ask like well what is consciousness what is this thing and like often i think like Consciousness and soul aren't necessarily synonymous, but they are pointing to the same difficult thing to grasp. Yeah. I think they are related fundamentally. Yeah. But it's also fundamentally related to the difference between life and death. So from time immemorial, ever since we've been dying, like ever since before humanity, like organisms have been dying. Yeah. And seeing the difference, like looking at a corpse. Which is not moving has been a very fundamental mystery about our existence. Like, why does it suddenly stop working? Like, what happens? So, yeah. when you look at many of the ancient languages, their word for soul and the word for breath is the same, and that me—that is, I think it is because the moment someone dies, it stops breathing. So then, the whole poetic gesture of like the final breath leaving the body is the soul leaving the body because the soul is especially the last breath. Yeah, The yeah. soul after which the body doesn't move anymore or it is still moving because you have a whole cluster of microorganisms that start eating you yeah. that first ate your food for you then suddenly start eating you. So can, you're still moving in a way, you know, pantarai, everything moves. But, um, the thing I wanted to point out is like, so we have this problem of death. There is the soul and it's got association associated with consciousness. Yeah. We have this idea of, uh, 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 of consciousness and of the soul. And often we, we have a tendency to reify. We want a thing that represents a word, like a word that represents a thing. Yeah. Like this is that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but with processes, it's often hard to pinpoint, like, yeah, but where is it? Is it in the pineal gland? yeah. yeah. Is it somewhere in the brain? Is it, but that, like, those are all the wrong questions yeah. because, like, processes are not the same thing as things. So, in that sense, yeah, okay, this opens up the whole realm of thinking of consciousness as a process. Yeah, so, I think
0: it is a process. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: then, like, what kind of process is it? And I have often, like, I think many very sciencey, concrete concepts fail here yeah, because we have like brains in fats, and fats because it's like also it's mind-numbingly complicated many people like like we are an organism that's a hundred billion million cells yeah, and like I heard a complexity theorist like where they can measure uh, depth of complexity in any system yeah. and they said that like the complexity of an individual human cell is comparable to that of a metropolis city as right. how many parts are interacting, exactly. in yeah, a yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. on different skills, you have levels. So it's like mind-longly complex. And they want to find a specific place where this whole process somehow comes together.
0: Well, yeah, I I think it's the wrong question because it's just, it doesn't make sense from a scientific point of view to say, um, at one point, experience magically emerges from the number of neurons. How complex or even simple this system is. It's kind of weird, like, why would it be something specific to living things and isn't there like even if you would have a system which can only for example imagine with your own way of perceiving things like we even have animals that perceive of course infrared and and supersonic sounds and whatever but imagine or maybe you would even have creatures that can <laughs> observe multiple spatial dimensions like beyond the 3 that we can yeah. i don't know but imagine that you would be like some sort of one-celled organism or a piece of rock that can experience this is just very theoretical just light and dark coming through that very basic uh ability to have the experience of light dark dark light 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 dark oh. that is already a conscious system and i that's what I'm. Just the the fact that something is happening, you know.
1: You know, I've always like the image, and it's a poetic image because I think many others fail. Is that like, like you know, the mind or consciousness is like a mirror, in the sense that it reflects the experience you project on it. Like that's like. Uh, this is a poetic image, eh? so imagine. Like we have a surface of water, yeah yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. reflecting the light, yeah, and but then you know this water isn't a flat, pure yeah. surface, yeah, so it's like it's folding and moving, and it's like rippling like waves, so what happens when you put a mirror in front of a mirror, you get like this infinite regress you get like this infinite tunnel that's like snailing off like so what i think like the mind as a mirror is like has wavy patterns in it like and so at certain points like all living systems like the whole living being of everything is like this body of water which Mm -hmm. is all in a certain measure responsive to everything else so the gravity waves of the farthest stars are influencing the way the water moves like in our oceans, but also like in a similar way. So everything reacts to everything else. Mm -hmm. But then at certain places, this reactivity somehow is intensified. And this is, I think one of the primary mysteries of life that life and complexity, like it intensifies complexity. So it kind of like, like a vicious cycles, it goes, it's like it concentrates. So, This mirror that suddenly feels itself to be a mirror is like somewhere where like this whole infinity opens up, like this experience that is like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? It's like something that was first like (laughs) just being sensitive suddenly becomes... A sensitivity to the fact that you're sensitive yes. and then suddenly wow. <laughs> you have an identity because it's a self that starts thinking about itself and thereby creates consciousness in the sense that it's a self that sees itself, but even if you don't see yourself, there is
0: consciousness, a baby I mean yeah,
1: no, but I think I think like this is again like the colloquial sense of consciousness and for and you have to, like this long traditional philosophy of consciousness and um the word consciousness means already like a, a recursive notion of self in a way. So there's the difference between being pure sensitivity, which is like being receptive to experience. But that is experience. But, yeah, no, but like the, like you could like say. Like I know that there's confusion in these words, yeah. but like as a philosopher, you somehow, some sometimes deconstruct the words we use and try to place them at different places. So okay. the raw experience is yeah. something else as consciousness. I would say that consciousness as a like also like in the act of meditating, where you particularly focus your attention of experience to the ex- act of experiencing. So this like feedback loop almost is something else than something, someone that is mere experiencing. And but I think that just no, a but more like,
0: complex like, form,
1: mm, but like, I think you can see at the baby different stages at where uh, consciousness emerges, like where habits of mind are formed and where it suddenly becomes aware of itself mm. as an experience within the world is something experience discovers
0: so be, or, i would argue so you're proposing that a sense of self uh or like i am a, a human being is rudim- is essential to having consciousness no,
1: i don't know you could use like i like what i'm meaning is that like let loose the strict definition of terms yeah. in the sense that because consciousness i think is a confused term yeah, also because,
0: because I would f- sense se- sense of self is something you lose in meditation when you try to find the self you just see that there is only experience yeah but that
1: might be is it like a uh, uh, turning back or superseding this whole process superseding yeah so that's then again like no. you could no wow this is the, yeah it's but so, this, this is like a, i think you know what an- what, analyze, what i'm trying to say yeah. is that it's it's like um, Part of this concept is confused, and I think the difficulty with using the term consciousness at all is because it's uh, 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 used differently in secular meditation techniques or in psychology or in theology. Like, is it this thing which gives a body a sense of experience? Yeah. Or is it related to the sense of self? It's like, I think I, I think the problem is is that we're describing a process where our everyday words are very difficult because they are trying to bend back upon yes. something which is very ephemeral and very hard to grasp because it's asking at something which is before language, yeah. which is yeah. also beyond language yeah. in a way, and it's also the thing in which language exists. Yes. And so in that sense, it's very difficult to... Talk about it in any strict sense. So, what I'm talking what I'm trying to offer is that um, the thinking mind in which we have a sense of self in a particular identity is like something that is built within consciousness, in the sense that we have like experience and this bare fact of uh but I think maybe the difficulty is for as a Dutch and German sp- and also, I read tons of German philosophers. It's like bewusst yeah, is the word for consciousness, so it means uh, like yeah. a, 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 a sign, a being that is in se- sensing itself, yeah. So, for me, consciousness as a concept is already this recursiveness of experience. I,
0: I like what Alan Watts says is that uh, consciousness or Human beings, let's put it like, I think he said something like, "Human beings, like, are the eyes of the universe looking at itself." Yeah, so I th- I'd say consciousness is yeah. the universe looking at yeah. itself, existence, yeah, uh, l- being aware of its own
1: existence. Well, There's for- even like in in Hegel's logic, and I might be bastardizing it, but like in his like cosmogenesis of the yeah. Hegelian philosophy, the idea is almost that the unity was once one and whole and forever but then it wanted to know itself yeah and then split itself into subject and object oh yeah, yeah because yeah, yeah. it wanted to know itself it got like stuck in the bazillion different aspects of itself yeah
0: yeah but, but this is also a poetic metaphor yeah, i but. think it's interesting you know what i think is very interesting in what you say is that you bring in the whole uh Self awareness, which is something I traditionally see as, like, you know, w- when you actually are studying, th- when you are.
1: I think they're not not that weird because I think the process of transcendental meditation in a philosophical sense, yeah. like uh, here, tr- you have of course like the Zen tradition and transcendental meditation, but they all mean like is thinking about the self, like and I think many people no, when no, they're not really like beyond
0: thinking, yeah, 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 observe,
1: I, like the, the the I think yeah, but when you're meditating and you're observing the act of your mind and how it behaves you see that there is something beneath yes. this sense of self, which is beyond, beyond your own self. And this is why I often, like I think this is related to a peculiarity I often found, especially with like this bastardized adoption of Eastern philosophy into Europeans and Americans, like in the West. You have both this idea about egolessness and reincarnation. So <laughs> I am... In the future, someone else, but this is, I think, the if you combine the fact that when you really come down to it, like the sense of individual personality is an illusion of perception that perceives itself in this, like, kind of yes, and still there
0: is this this perception of I, and you can even make an imagination of how it would be like this. I is not you. In the sense that, like, uh, what I mean is like exactly, exact. That's exactly what I would say. That is the. the It's not your
1: identity. It's not your sex. It's not your character because they are all bound to the contingency of the historical world where you are embodied. Yes. And so when you take away everything that that self that is beyond self is not you. It's not. It's not bound to your memories Mm. that you have now. And that part is God in the sense that it's the eye behind (laughs) all the eyes. That's exactly what I mean. We are connected because like the whole earth is literally one body if you zoom out a little bit. Like, if you fly into the world, it seems like, oh, that's just one body, (laughs) and we're all made from the exact same 52 amino acids (laughs) that are all functioning in the same genetic process, you know? We're all one body, but we don't see it because we get stuck in our personality and all these reflections of these refractions in this weird spinning thing called consciousness. This is like, we tend to see it like... um, like a broken mirror. Like we think we are yeah. a separate part from which we
0: see everything, but it's in the end, it's like this giant cosmic dance. Yes. So, yeah, mm, this is very interesting uh, because, for, well, first of all, um, I think that. Uh, uh, I would normally now, I maybe we went very analytically into what consciousness is. And I usually would say, like, in that thought process, I would stop myself or the other person, like, stop. What I mean, well, what I actually try yeah. to do is, is beyond analysis, but you brought in, like, I would say the, the first observation of the phenomena beyond analysis, being able to observe is already like, Wait, wait a second! Before analyzing self-bewusstsein, etc., like um, just the fact that there is the color green already, without even having a word for it, that, already is like a very fundamental. It didn't have to be that way because you can imagine that your camera doesn't have that ability. But actually, I think your analysis made sense and added something to it in this case. So I think that's interesting. And I, I was wondering, like, is this some sort of analytical bias towards observation? Like you have to be able to anal- analyze something before being able to say that you're conscious? Because I don't think no, so. It's not, and I think what no, no, it's, no. It, yeah, it's not, but I think consciously, no, no.
1: Yeah, it's not about analysis. It's about like um, observing the observer, this weird yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, recursion which is, I think, crucial to the fact that we have a sense of self, yes. but it's also tricky because we get stuck in it. Like yeah. we get stuck in a hall of mirrors in the sense that you don't know the way out anymore and you forget that you're the mirror but also the light. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, I think, the conundrum of human existence is that we attach so much value to this Reflect and I, this is what I mentioned, like with the irony about like the Western import of Eastern thought. Yeah. is this combination of no self and reincarnation. Like what I think, <laughs> and this is actually something I stole from Schopenhauer because he was actually one of the first Western philosophers who um, studied the Eastern thinking because they were getting like in yeah. the seventeenth, eighteenth century they were getting by the uh, uh, Imperial British they were getting translations of the Rig Veda. And um, that's like the the one of the mystical texts that's behind yoga and the whole Eastern philosophy thing.
0: The Vedas, but the Vedas are from uh, from more of a well. You said yeah, they, the no, Hinduist they, tradition. No, right? yeah, not
1: Eastern. It's like it's complex. I, I don't know exactly how okay. how it's pointed in, but like they didn't know that back then as well. How it's rigorously what is yeah, what, exactly. etc. They were just getting exotic texts of Eastern philosophy. Yes, yes, and. Um, he called like individuality the noble lie or this is a long time i've read this but he had this beautiful thing about uh reincarnation the theory of reincarnation being a noble lie to get people to behave as if they are all part of the same being without actually needing to believe it like in the sense that if you heard something it might in a in a different world you might have been the thing you've heard you know yeah. this is like he calls it a noble lie to uh, get people to behave in a moral way as if everything is one without actually needing to have this vision yes so for him reincarnation was like a, a, an illusion to trick people into behaving morally yeah. because they actually <laughs> like think the is. other as another self
0: yeah L- so, just like heaven yeah. and hell right yeah. You, yeah and so basically you're saying you're destroying the paradigm or the the um how would you call it yeah the, the the whole paradigm of um a me being transferred into another system because it just doesn't make sense
1: yeah my me is bound to my thoughts and experience yeah. as it is instantiated in this temporal yeah. Being that is my body exactly. in that sense that it's something different than the fact that the whole universe is alive and reactive. Yeah. You know, it's myself is something that bubbles out of that. Yes. And it's like literally like a bubble. It's also like it reflects itself in all the sides yeah, yeah. inside. But at the same time, it's something separate from the world. But at the same time, it's like not the beyond and all of it. And that's I think some rests of theology and like christianity and thinking that or abrahamic religions in general where the ideas that like and this is also i think i don't know if if it's right to say christianity in general but a specific kind of christianity that grew up in imperialist uh christianity or imperialist europe because there there was this whole idea about the whole world is there to exploit for me Yes, everything. The so, meaning is so important. Yeah. So there, there was this yeah. whole discussion in the 19th century about do uh, Negroes have souls? Because they were using them. Like, this is very interesting because, like, in moral philosophy, they attribute to Christianity as the birth of human rights. The fact that everyone has value. And everyone has intrinsic value in itself, you know, because they are all created by God. There was a serious discussion, like, for slaveholders who were having issues with the fact that they were holding people as slaves. They (laughs) thought, like, Like, I am free, but, like, they're not. Like, there was this, like, disconnection between it. But, like, there were some people who literally argued that they weren't people, they were cattle. Because that you could hold them because they didn't have freedom.
0: But they they, imposed that slavery upon them in the first place. It's like as if you would say that a uh, human being, once you uh, put a leash on it, it becomes like a cow or something. No, but it's like
1: very (laughs) cynical. But like there's this tendency then to like, like now, of course, with like the whole climate movement and all those things that we think we should have agency in animals and rivers that they have intrinsic rights in themselves and we don't have the right to just exploit them to the max but this like this imperialist mindset of exploiting the other for the interests of an individual for my private benefit like this entails like a whole metaphysics of how you actually think about other people and if they have the right to be treated well or not yeah and still many people don't agree the fact that Everyone should be treated equally, and this was for Christi- Christians a big problem because, like, this is like a, again like something that Nietzsche talks about a lot. Like he walks like, why do priests have power? It's one question in one text he asks, and he said, like, well, a priest is um, instit- priesthood is like an institution that um, arbitrages like the sinfulness of people in a specific way. So the sin or the the debt that Jewish people have is that some ancient time uh, the Jews were slaves and then God saved them, and now they should fulfill their debt because they were freed, they should live in a good way. And this is also why you can't become a Jew because you were born in it. You should supposedly should be a descendant of these original tribes that got freed from slavery in ancient Egypt. So then what the Christians added to this abrahamic tradition was like uh, no the sin isn't like this slavery back then but it was actually original sin of adam and eve this made the fact that we are sinful by nature and jesus christ can save us but everybody can be saved everybody can be saved not just this specific people but everyone is descended of adam and eve so everyone shares in their sin and everyone can be delivered from it but if you do not accept jesus in your heart you are uh, not uh you can just be used and killed and whatever and put burnt on the stake.
0: Right. And so, so that this gave like, rights to Christian slaveholders to hold slaves. Or no, no, yeah. yeah in no, their yeah. mind. Or. But
1: this was also a problem. But in, in a sense what they what they uh what Nietzsche says about this is that it like the universalized the debt we cosmic debt we have towards some Grievance in the past towards the ultimate or something, and that is mediated by priests, and their power is by like a spiritual way of talking to people, making them feel they have this debt to existence, and then they can be liberated from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And this is actually, in a way, why I would call capitalism a religion as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they their notion of debt isn't sin anymore, but it's like unproductiveness is the sin. Of the religion of capitalism, and uh, 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 you repay that. Like, also, you have to go into debt in order to be able to have a good life because you need to, or, or your parents need to be rich. But in that sense, that they also um, arbitrate between a notion of debt or sin and deliverance from that sin, which is a psycho spiritual process.
0: Okay right and like for yeah. instance, like in ancient
1: <laughs> worlds like the religions in babylon for instance were in fact distributive channels like they handed in their grains to the temple and then they later got it back when they needed food so there was this whole cycle which was religiously motivated so i think religion is not just about believing in god it's like this whole psychosocial yeah, process that uh determines the shape of the interaction between people. And then this has all these different things that happen in it, like a notion of soul, all these things that then start to become productive parts of how we actually relate to ourselves in this world.
0: So by, by putting power, so to kind of maybe summarize this part, like if um, in consciousness It is observed that there is no self but just experience and then the whole notion of oneness becomes important. Uh, Then the kind of... opposite pole of that is what many religions have tried to do is actually to put a center in there and put emphasis on that individual that's me that soul that is you and that will either reincarnate into a new you or go to heaven and hell and you better behave morally and you have so they kind of and then they would also even be able to say okay for example our slaves don't have souls so don't worry, we can keep them as slaves, or someone else yeah. would say, "Wait a second this doesn't make sense and but bah. it's like the
1: same going on now with immigration, so you might like, but that's yeah. like, I think like if you like do like what is like that effect that I have a Dutch passport gives me many privileges like an African doesn't have, so in the sense that my personhood literally as like the the abstract thing that makes me a part of the Dutch nation. Uh, 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 is something which uh, uh, opens doors for me, but is for other people in other countries is kind of closed. So in that sense, that there is uh, a certain determination of some people that they can be allowed to do certain things, and others can't. And this is like a, a very interesting uh, part about how, you know how um, how ourselves have meaning and value in the sense that not everyone is evenly valuable. And in that sense, it's like uh, there's this, I think, a a cynicism here uh, uh, between that we sometimes forget, like that the dehumanization of an imperialist that thought that Negro slaves had no soul is similar to how uh, certain people who are from different parts of the world have no rights here because they are foreigners, which is interesting that we're like differentiating between people based on whether or not they are part of this mental construct which we have, which has emerged historically, also contingently.
0: Like it's you like mean a... borders, basically. Yeah, borders. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and and identities and how they are yeah. related in the sense that we are still judging people about something else than the the content of their character. They are judged based on whether or not they are a part of, like, some abstract nation or community. Like, it's inter- like, religion's talking about the distance as well. Like, you know, uh, is the, the specific community which is made of, like, which is, like, combined by the Holy Spirit. Or you could say uh, they are gathered by a mental construct in which they share or language they share, which makes them either... A part or a non-part of a certain uh, collective. Yeah, and religions do this, but nation states do this as well.
0: Yes. So exactly, I well, I I um, I I wonder. Like yes, probably I think this is. Uh, this has been a very big driving force behind nation states to not judge like you know put people into like racial categories or where they come from and say oh well, they ain't like us so uh, they're not welcome here but now that we do have a whole system of nation states and it wasn't Always only the the, 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 the the like Western world imposing those rules upon their uh, uh, colonies, but also within yeah, like, yeah. every community has a sense of self yeah yeah, yeah within yeah. the collective and some, some of it was
1: kinship you know by birth yeah who you grew up with and who you're related to. And many societies were, bu- economies were built on this. Like Rome was a highly tribal society, and the whole thing with the Middle East now still is also partly tribal. That many of the relationships aren't nation states. Because that I think for European countries, when they became imperial, they had like very big abstract entities, institutions that regulated like the society. And there was also like already a step beyond kinship relationships so they weren't necessarily tribal anymore yeah like guilds and corporations they are like families but they are not grounded in actual kinship relationships but they are grounded in a principle which is related to something of a higher level not in a moral sense but in a higher level in the sense that it's consciously thought out it's like planned it's yeah. built by contracts it's like this Abstract system of behavior yes. in which you can come in if you uh, submit to these rules so it 's like a cult where it 's like a
0: yeah I understand so but, but to go back like to what I wanted to say was like, yeah, we have these systems which are not always based on characters of people or yeah. etc but and, and and like based on just maybe uh, blind nationalism sort of but also on the other hand uh, to completely abolish like t- to say okay so hey wait a second it doesn't make sense to treat humans differently so let's abolish the borders and stuff that would give huge problems and i, there's I agree a, there's a, not,
1: that's not what i'm arguing for
0: yeah but i, I know yeah well I, I mean i don't know exactly what you're you're you're, you're describing the history of. i'm trying to
1: describe a process of like how certain like ideas like religions and borders and nation states yeah. have something in common Yes, and that they have a certain system of determining who is who's in, in and who's or out. who is out. And yeah. You see this in small and large. You see also like in certain communities in a city like Amsterdam, there is the idea people have this sense of what other people like them believe, what belongs to what they are a part of. And this starts a vicious cycle, that they start behaving more in line with what they believe their in-crowd is like in order to strengthen these bonds. And this entails all kinds of process of radicalization, but also of differentiation. And this is like, I think, akin to many processes in nature, also like how one original species uh, splits into multiple offspring you know in the sense that like you had one primal cat and now you have like thousands of cat like creatures you know who are descendant of one primeval cat but then there's like subtle differences that emerge because of like the location in which they move into Yeah, yeah and uh the techniques they choose to uh or choose like i don't know it's a choice like freedom <laughs> but like in the sense that they choose different methods of becoming a new being in this new
0: context so but then isn't it also the case that we differentiate like there that there is in-group out-group things not only based on uh, random stuff but also like hey wait a second we now as a community like these kind of morals and behaviors and you from the other community have different standards so it's a bit tricky to mix you in and stuff you know and like yeah, this where is just, populism comes from but also maybe some other criticisms of my, my migration policies is like you know it's difficult to mix all these different norms and values and stuff and then it's a bit more about character maybe yeah but this is
1: like it's interesting like like immigrants from the United States, even though they also might be refugees in a certain thing because they don't <laughs> like it there anymore, they're never called uh, immigrants, they're called expats.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also
1: yeah. partly because like the cultural difference is maybe less so, even though because like we all speak English here and etc. But this means that there is like a differentiation made on very subtle grounds and this can be and has been politicized. There's been even exa- like an example, like I was listening to this... Uh, podcast about Leopold II, who was like the Belgium king uh, uh, who wanted uh, also a colony. And then they did the whole Congo thing. And there they started differentiating. Like many colonial countries, they wanted to find a minority of locals that could rule over the majority. So they found some people who could be used to suppress the people for them like an intermediary, like the Molucca, the, the Dutch people did it with the Molucca in, in Indonesia. They were like collaborators. Like we use them to uh, gain power in those countries. And some yeah. times when they didn't exist naturally on tribal basis, like I think it wasn't it was Congo, right? That they differentiated them between the Hutus and the Tutsis and they did it on some... Uh, random nose length measurement yeah, yeah. and they just gave oh, yeah. different people yeah. different passports and then like they started differentiating themselves and they started behaving as if it was actually meaningful
0: ah. difference so that was created the difference yeah. the tribal difference there between those two yeah. tribes was actually created by yeah the, not, the, not don't, don't pin me on this but this is
1: something an interpretation of this that I read somewhere but it's a bit confusing okay. because it was long time ago but there has been examples in imperial colonial rule where they manufactured minorities which weren't natural and they just did it to like play people out against each other and this is also (laughs) what I think in politics in many different ways like is done like get people to fight within themselves so they don't realize who is actually fucking them
0: all yeah 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 (laughs) like
1: divide and conquer this is the classic divide and conquer technique
0: yeah yeah It's You know what's interesting? I really even... Like when I started this podcast... uh, Well, this is just the second episode. But I was like, I don't really want to go into political nature and stuff. And we were actually talking about consciousness and conscious experience. And then somehow it uh, went all the way into imperialism, etc., etc. Yeah, no, but I think they
1: are... (laughs) fundamentally related and that is strange that i say this but there's like Mm. the 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 power of our consciousness to make differences like all our notions and all the words we use demarcate one thing from the other everything that is something is not something else and this process of carving up the world in all its parts even though often it doesn't really work. Like, for instance, with in symbiotic ecosystems, it's very hard to disentangle one organism from the other because they cannot survive without each other. So it should be considered more like a unity, etc. So, like, our mind makes differences. It sees this is not that. And we do that to ourselves just as much as we do it to the natural world around us.
0: So but what I'm arguing for is that, uh, well... I don't know if I was arguing for it earlier, but what I kind of, well, the point I want to get to is that when actually we stick to, as all human beings have conscious experience, and if we stick to really getting deep into, like, really seeing, like, hey, the emotion, sadness... Pops up in all these systems. The color green pops up be- beyond the words. There's actually maybe differences in how people perceive these colors and stuff. But then we realize. Do you think that consciousness is first? No, is I it, think is it uh, fundamental or is it emergent? I don't know. <laughs> I uh, uh, f- uh, that's uh, uh, I a, like for me know. for me
1: myself. I would say it's emergent. From what? Uh, based on my... Well, what is it, what uh, is it emerging from?
0: Uh, uh, from the body. But what what about trees and ants and, and, yeah, but and they flies are also, and bats? Uh, don't you say that they are conscious? Like
1: In some way or not. Like in the same that they are exper- sensitive beings in the exactly sense that... But,
0: but going back to sensation... Do they have
1: a self-perception? I don't know. I think my, some animals do, some no, don't. But it's like a fake... Uh,
0: border there. But that's so what I'm saying is when we just go to observation and the self perception falls away and there is just observation, that's where we find the yeah, common like, ground. Yeah, that's yeah, where, yeah. where religions yeah. ro- but lose like, power. What I'm, what
1: I'm always reminded of, like, um, uh, for instance, the least hated drug of all, like alcohol or by society or the, the legal drug, um, they can make you lose consciousness in the sense that where you're still doing stuff. So there's this thing with alcohol, if you drink too much, that you don't remember anything, yeah. so you weren't there, but your body yeah, but was that's doing memory, things.
0: but maybe at that point... Yeah, no,
1: but you cannot disentangle this, because, like, the moment you don't remember that you done things, did they actually happen, you know? In the sense <laughs> that, like, yeah, you were doing things, <laughs> yeah, but, but you weren't there, and people also act w- possessed when they're really drunk, yeah, in the I sense that, that they're not their self. In that sense, what I'm meaning to say is that... Um, Uh, uh, the most characteristic part of your consciousness of what actually, how you are and what you are is something that is like um, uh, emerging from this process, which you can influence by ingesting drugs. Like they are mind altering. Like in the sense that your your experience of being someone can be modulated with drugs. Like just look at someone, if you go to a doctor and say, I'm depressed he will give you some pills and they will make yeah, you feel different. Yeah, but I
0: feel we're going too much on a side route here because, well, maybe not. No, no, it's, it's related to the question whether or not consciousness is fundamental or emergent. Well, I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter for what I'm saying. What I'm saying is how to reconcile societies, how to see that human beings are not that different from each other is that we all, in the conscious experience, we all have the same, yeah. exp- like, well, not the same experiences, but we all are conscious beings and this is all happening and um, we don't... But you act as if, like, you would, think that Hitler wouldn't have
1: happened (laughs) if he was only conscious that the fact that the Jews he was uh, gassing were also conscious human beings? Um well is it like the kumbaya moment at this moment we realized they were all cut from the same
0: cloth suddenly i think that will add to i think if you would say to hitler are the jews cut from the same cloth as you you would say nine. <laughs> i don't
1: know i may maybe hear a bit more cynical in this regard that even when people know that they other people are conscious they will still find some people will still find reason to abuse and exploit them yeah but i think that
0: I think going back to well it's not just a one step solution but I think uh, the fact that we all have experience and we all yeah, live in this th- world and the thing we are certain uh, of is I experience is, uh, could be connecting maybe us. a
1: bit I think is this I I I would like to believe in the <laughs> yeah. in the kumbaya moment <laughs> as as long as not people this. will realize this but I think you underestimate is not no, so no, like, I, that's I, what i know but i think you might underestimate the pleasure and happiness some people feel in dominating others that's true and it's not no, just uh, psychopaths that do this there is a power play between people in general like I can enjoy sometimes making people feel stupid (laughs) it's an insidious tendency but but, but like you can
0: learn to let that go you can learn to yeah no but what I'm
1: trying to say is that there's pleasure in the experience of dominance and this is a dark side of us and I think this is also maybe more fundamental in nature itself I think like you could say that
0: a leopard enjoys eating faces yeah but if you look at human beings, we have changed morals and ethics and everything so many times I- during our yeah. lifetimes. And we're adaptable and we learn new things. Yeah. And I think if you look at philosophies like we Stoicism and, like, and, and, and Buddhism, they're pretty old. And it has taken a lot of... But I think the fact that they're also winning more ground now somehow... Like,
1: I, and I, I think in general you could say that um, the size of those who are included... In the idea of other peoples like you who should be treated with like a minimum amount of respect, has been growing. Would like it, used like now like people who you include in your in crowd. Yeah, like for most. Dutch people they would consider like all Dutch people in general, like maybe as something or all European now. For like I think many cosmopolitan uh Europeans yeah. do consider the European Union as a whole as to be culturally quite the same, and everyone being like, or maybe everyone in the world, like but like there's differences in the measure where people include others in themselves. And the true cosmopolitan, of course, includes every single one, and maybe even all the animals. Like, yeah. uh, 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 but this is like um, uh, something that's not like a primal state of no, being. I'm... but in the sense that it's something to grow towards. Exactly, and something well. that takes work. Yeah, because yes. Yes. Uh, all these miscommunication has to be ironed out, and all these confusions of things that make people hate each other should be ironed out. And I think yeah. the the we should not underestimate the power on the resourcefulness of people searching for reasons to hate other people and there's more and institutions who profit from this mechanism <laughs> and it's also in many insidious ways like also like look at how the uh, whether you are or are not vaccinated is dividing people whether you're a woman or a man or whether you are like however like all these different things can be used to put people up against each other yeah. and which i think is Wrong in a way, but at the same time they are effective, and this is like I think what the insidious effe-
0: part. Well, the thing is, we also have to wrap it up. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I just want to say, yeah, I agree, and I don't know exactly what the way forward would be, but I do believe that uh, learning to love the things that make others happy, instead of learning to love the things, or just going in that instinctive dominant role yeah is the path forward and maybe meditation and psychedelics even and stuff like that could be it would be classic to end on
1: a conundrum and uh, to think like uh, yes socrates this is uh, has been interesting thoughts
0: but there's something we should think about longer and more thoroughly that's very true <laughs> that's very true okay dude thanks a lot for yeah, your man. time and uh i'll dance to your set thursday <laughs> on nice. the Odessa yeah nice I hope you enjoyed this episode. As of early 2022, I will release a new episode every four to six weeks and this will probably increase in the future. If you want to support me in making this podcast happen, you can do this through a monthly or one-time donation. Check out inspiratiopodcast.com or the episode description in your podcast player. Thanks a lot for your support. Also, if you want to know when a new episode is released you can sign up for our newsletter also through the website or check the episode description and i will only send you an email if there's a new episode nothing else and see you all next time